Welcome to the ArchMI Podcast, featuring our senior customer trainer, Blaine Rita. Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, or ArchMI, is a leading provider of mortgage insurance, or MI, in the United States. Our competitive pricing tool, ArchMI RateStar, is the leading risk-based pricing platform in the industry, providing rates based on a thorough understanding of the underlying risk. Here's your host, Blaine Rada. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Blaine Rada with ArchMI. These podcasts are a way for me to share some of my perspective that I've gained in over 30 years of being in the mortgage lending business, but they're all really designed to do one thing, and that's to help you create separation and differentiation between you and all of your competitors, all the other choices that people have to to go to for business. I very much value the time that you take to listen to these and take that responsibility seriously. So let me tell you a little bit about what you can expect. Um, first of all, they're not scripted. So if, you, if this is the first time you're listening, you're going you're gonna to realize that this is really a conversation. Now, it's a one-way conversation, but it is a conversation. So I prefer that method of communication. I prefer kind of, you know, stream of consciousness thinking. It's, it's not like I haven't made some notes and have no idea what I'm going to say. But at the same time, I'm, I don't like to be limited to words that I've already put on a page. So that may make some people nervous, not knowing what's going to come, especially, you know, lawyers. <laughs> but uh, I'm yet to say anything that's gotten me into a ton of trouble. So just know that it's going to be uh, conversational. And it also is what I consider to be high content. One of the challenges I always have, and I think any of us that have been in an industry industry for a long time will have, is that we have an iceberg worth of information and we have time to share the tip of it. And so I tend to put a lot into these. So I'm going to recommend, even though you're probably doing something else while you listen to these, that you make, a, make time, make an appointment with yourself to listen to it again so that you can pause it, you can make notes, you can really internalize and use the ideas instead of just kind of casually listening. Because I know if you're like me, I often listen to information and feel like, wow, that's really insightful or that's really valuable. But then I tend to just kind of go back to my old habits and doing what I always do because I really didn't take the time to internalize it. So I'm going to encourage you to do that. And I always share at the very beginning my worldview on sales because all of these are kind of have a sales focus to them. And it's, it's not a worldview that everybody shares. It, some people might say it's a little controversial, but it makes a lot of sense to me. And that is that selling is not about getting the sale. And I know for some people that seems ridiculous. What do you mean selling is not about getting the sale? I believe that the focus of selling should be on establishing if you're the best fit for that person's needs. And when your focus is on establishing if you're the best fit, you'll get plenty of sales, right? But when we, when we focus on just getting it done, right? Getting the signature, getting the application, getting the check, uh, getting the deal, I think it changes our behavior. I think it changes the way that we approach people. And people can sense that, by the way. People can feel it. And most people are not very comfortable when they start to feel that the salesperson's ultimate goal is really more self-serving and not about service. So you probably already believe that in your heart, but I just want to remind you that that's really what this is all about. All right, so today's podcast is really about the sales process. And if you think about selling, it really is a process, right? I I refer to it as a sales conversation. And the sales conversation or the sales process really has several steps. And there's, you know, there's actually systems for this, right? And I've always, you know, and I don't want to insult anybody, and I hope I'm not, but I've always been a little put off by these systems. You know, when some sales guru writes a book that says, you know, here are the 10 steps. Here's the formula that you should use when you're a salesperson. You know, anytime you meet someone, do step one and then move to step two and then move to step three. 
And I, I just, I've always felt like, well, isn't this, isn't this taking the personal out of it? Like, first of all, maybe some of those steps don't work for me. And maybe those steps don't work in this particular situation that I'm in. So I'm not a big fan of saying, here's a template that you must follow. But there are, there is a sequence, right, of things that happen in a sales conversation. So for instance, the beginning is all about things like building rapport, you know, establishing some type of connection, um, finding out what it is that you have in common so that you can relate to each other. I mean, we, we connect on our similarities, not our differences, right? So we're trying to kind of find out where those similarities are that we might have with somebody. And, and then we move into this phase of the sales conversation where it's about asking a lot of good questions and listening to what their needs are so that we can try to figure out, do I have a solution for them? Is there a way that I can be of service? So there are all of those steps, right? But I'm going to focus on the end. I'm going to focus on two two skills, if you will, two te- two techniques. Because here here here's another statement, and again, I don't I I never mean to offend, but boy, it's hard to say stuff and not offend somebody. I honestly think that many salespeople are pathetic. Now, I, I, that may not sound like a very nice thing to say, and I don't mean it in a in a bad way. So let me define what I mean by pathetic. I actually have pity for them. I actually feel sad for them. You know, think about all the times when you're out there as a consumer, when you're out there uh, as a buyer of some product or service, and so you're interacting with someone who calls themselves a salesperson. Start to pay attention to how many times you're impressed. How many times does that actually go well? And I think what you'll realize is that most salespeople actually do that job very poorly. And I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't pass judgment on them. I don't hold it against them. My gosh, they probably either have not a lot of experience or maybe they just haven't gotten good training. But I honestly think that if you just mastered a couple of key skills, and these are at the tail end of the sales conversation, this is where I want to focus today. If you just master a couple of these key skills, that is going to put you in the top 10% of anybody that calls themselves a sales professional. And again, these things will not sound complicated, right? I, I don't. I don't probably share any ideas that sound complicated, but whether they're easy or whether we do them is another matter. So the two... The two skills, if you will, are closing and follow-up. So I want to focus today on closing and follow-up. So let's talk about closing first. First of all, what is it? You know, we've all heard that word, the close, right? Kind of has a negative connotation. And there's some reasons why it has a negative connotation, and I'm going to get into that in a minute. But really, the, the close is simply asking for, for business, right? Asking for the order. And let's think about this. If you've done all the other parts of the sales conversation appropriately, right? You've built rapport. You've found how it is that you connect with this person. You've asked good questions. You've been a good listener. You've, you understand what their needs are. You understand what the solutions are that you provide. And you honestly think that you have a solution for their problem. Why would you not ask if they're interested? Like there's this, this thing called, you know, reluctance to close. Like, I mean, yeah, they might say no, and I guess none of us like rejection, right? None of us like to be told that someone's not interested in what we're offering. But imagine if you had all this gold in your backyard. You've got more gold than you could ever spend in your lifetime. I mean, wouldn't you just buy some shovels and go up to people and say, hey, I've got, I've got all this stuff in my backyard that could be really helpful to you. Would you like some? Oh, no, I would never say that because somebody might say no to me, right? I mean, that almost sounds ridiculous. So... 
Closing is basically asking for the business, and I'm suggesting that you shouldn't hesitate to do that if you've done your homework, right? If if the timing is appropriate, and and again, I'll get a little bit more into that in a moment, but let's let's remove the the negativity around the word close because the close is simply asking if someone's interested in doing business with you, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that if you've done all of the steps prior to you know that lead up to that. All right, so there's two ways that closing is misused, and this is why closing gets kind of a bad rap. Um, one is just not asking, right? Some salespeople just never ask, and so they lose a tremendous amount of business, and, and honestly, the consumer is not even sure that the person is that interested in getting their business, right? Because the salesperson never really says, so are you ready to move forward, or can we do business together? Or, and again, I'm not a big let's use a script kind of person. So you've got to find your own language that sounds normal and natural for you to say. But that's one way that closing is is not done well, is that it's simply not done. Um, and then the, the opposite is the second problem, which it's done too much. Right? So let's, let's just focus on, on both of those for just a moment. So why would we not ask? Well, I kind of already alluded to, you know, the anxiety we have around being rejected or having somebody say no to us. But, you know, there's also a legitimate reason why we would not ask for the order. And it often is due to timing. Like, it just doesn't feel right. It's not appropriate. This is not the time. And maybe it's because you haven't done everything that you need to do. Or maybe it's because that buyer is just not at a point where they can make a decision. In other words, there's many reasons why it may not be time to close. And those are all legitimate reasons not to ask for the business. And we're going to get to, well, then what should you do instead? Because I'm a big believer that if you're not asking for the business, there's still something to be done here. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. What about the asking too much? There's even an expression in sales known as ABC always be closing. And I'll bet you've been the victim of that. Gosh, I hope you don't actually do that. Maybe that's the training you've received and maybe you think it's a good idea and hey, good luck for you. You know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't harbor any ill will towards someone that disagrees with my ideas. Um, but here's what I think about always closing. People don't like it, right? It's pressure. It's, it's coercing. It's persuasion. And there's a lot of books and seminars and training and stuff that you can go to that teaches you how to basically mentally manipulate a person. I just don't resonate with that. I just don't think that's, again, back to my worldview on sales, that, that would mean that your focus is on simply getting the sale as opposed to making sure that you're the best fit. So let me share an example with you of, of overselling, always closing. Uh, my wife and I, a few years ago, we moved out of the home that we had been in for 25 years. So, you know, we had not bought a home in a really long time. And we were, we were kind of downsizing, you know, children were leaving the nest, so to speak. And we were open to all kinds of possibilities, you know, new home, existing home, condo, townhome, single family. Uh, we really didn't know what we wanted. So we'd never bought a brand new home before, and we went to one of those new home developments to look at the models, right? You know what I'm talking about. You go to the new home development, and there's a whole row of homes there that you can walk through um, so that you can kind of see what the builder builds, you know, what their floor plans are like, what the quality of their construction is, et cetera. And so we go to, into one of these places, and if you've been to these, and most of you probably that are listening have, you have to always walk into a sales office. 
most of the time they're going to stop you right there and you're going to be introduced to a salesperson and they're going to collect some information from you and then they're going to let you go tour the homes and then when you come back they're going to want to talk to you about how how was it what did you like what didn't you like etc sometimes they'll just cut you loose and say okay we'll go see the houses but then when you come back you've, you've always noticed when you come back you can't just leave right you have to actually come back through the sales office in other words, they're trying to make sure that they connect with you, that they gather your contact information so that they can follow up with you as appropriate, right? So as is often the case in these sales offices, there's this room. I, I call it the, the model room. It's basically where they have a big display uh, you know, that, that basically shows you the, what the place will look like. Because one of the challenges in buying new construction, I found, is that you have no idea what the place is going to look like when it's finished. If you're buying in the early stages of construction, it's hard to imagine what will it look like here when all the houses are built and where will that park be and where will that you know playground be? And so they've got like a, a model that shows all of that, that where they can kind of show you, you know, here's phase one, you know, we're, we're done with phase one, we're building in phase two. And so they're describing what's going on in the, in the development. So we, we're, we meet up with this young salesperson and I only use the word young because I'm assuming this person didn't have much experience right? They're new at this. So every other sentence out of this man's mouth was, can you see yourself living here? So here's where the park's going to be. Can you see yourself living here? And there's ultimately going to be four or five phases. Can you see yourself living here? They were constantly closing. Now, my wife, my wife is very soft-spoken, and she doesn't really like anything that's related to sales and pressure, and that's just not her thing. She just basically couldn't stand it anymore. After about the 10th time that this person said, can you see yourself living here? She blurted out, you know, I'm not sure. We haven't left this room. I mean, honestly, what's the reason we're there? We're there to see the models. So could we see the models before you start basically pressuring us for a decision on whether we want to live here? Like, doesn't that seem blatantly obvious that it's a completely inappropriate time to be asking someone if they want to live in a community when they haven't even seen what you're building there yet? <laughs> and yet, obviously, this person thought this was the appropriate thing to do. So whether that was their training or whether they'd gotten maybe no training and they just thought, well, this is how you be as a salesperson, when those things happen, it gives the whole sales process a bad taste. And so closing becomes this negative thing because it's been misused, right? So I'm a big believer in asking for the order when the timing is appropriate, when the moment is right and not before. And this whole business of, you know, don't ask, right? Because you don't want to be rejected. We need to get rid of those insecurities and asking too much or asking inappropriately. I'm hoping that, you know, we don't want to do that either, right? That doesn't make people happy. So if it's not the right time to close, then what do we do? Well, that leads to the second skill that I want to talk to you about today. So first skill is all about closing, right? The second skill is what I call following up or follow up. And my definition of follow up is that every interaction should lead to a next step, right? Every, every interaction that you're having with a potential customer should lead to something else that's going to happen. In fact, even once you've secured somebody's business, I mean, think about a mortgage for a moment. Somebody's gotten a mortgage from you. They're at the closing table. They signed their documents. They've moved into their home. I guess we're done, right? Well, many of you are probably shaking your head right now. No, we're not done. The closing's the beginning, not the end. There should still be a next step, and it should be an agreed-upon next step. So between you and the customer, you simply need to establish where do we go from here? 
So maybe it's, let's say somebody's closed on their home. Do you mind if I reach out to you in a couple of months and just check in with you and see how you like your new home? Right? Or do you mind if I reach out to you in six months? Or in other words, just establish what, what you're going to do. Um, if you haven't secured somebody's business, then the next steps are obviously much closer, right? Uh, if I haven't heard from you in a couple of days, do you mind if I call you? Or I'd like to send you some information that kind of fills in some of the blanks we weren't able to get to today. Is that okay? It's a really very simple thing. You're just offering a service. What is next? And you're mutually agreeing. This makes it so easy then to stay in contact with people and to keep the relationship going because you know what you're supposed to do, which is always a bit of a concern on the salesperson's part, right? Like, what am I supposed to do? They they seem kind of uptight. They seem like they don't want to be pushed. You know, should I back off? Should I leave them alone? Well, just establish what you're going to do next and get their agreement right? Now you have their agreement and they know exactly what to expect from you. Because I'll tell you as a consumer, when I part ways with a salesperson, and I'm going to give you another example of that in a minute, and I have no idea what the next step is. I don't know that that person values my business, is interested in my business, I is a professional. I mean, I, I have no idea what to expect. So basic definition of follow-up is that every interaction should end with what do we do next? There should be a next step, whether that's tomorrow, next week, a year from now, there should be some sort of a next step. Now, the challenge, of course, is now you have to do this stuff. And that's where I think a lot of salespeople don't do their jobs well. And again, they're well-intentioned. I don't think people say stuff that they have no intention of doing. You know, I think people have good intentions, but it's become so epidemic you know, I could be anywhere. I could be buying anything. And if a salesperson tells me that they're going to do something, you know, that's based in the future, like I'm going to call you or I'm going to send you something or I'm going to get back to you with an answer to that question. There's a little voice in my head that says, no, you won't. No, you won't. And that little voice is almost always right. Because it's just become epidemic that people don't do what they said they're going to do. They're not a person of their word. And again, I don't, I don't take it personally. Like, I don't feel like, oh, they didn't do it because they don't like me. And I don't try to, I don't judge them. You know, I don't think, oh, they're a horrible person because they didn't get back to me. But do I trust them? No. Do I feel like I want to do business with them? Are they a professional? Are they somebody who I would want to work with? Probably not. So let me, let me share an example of how that works. So not that long ago, I was interested in buying a new car for myself. And the car would primarily be mine. I mean, my wife, of course, would drive it occasionally, but it was going to be my car. And I was open to all kinds of possibilities of what kind of car. So I went to lots of different dealerships. I wasn't just focused on one or two. And I was open to all kinds of possibilities. And as is often the case when you walk into a car dealership, kind of similar to buying a home, right? You're going to have to interact with a salesperson who's going to want to get your contact information. They're going to want to learn a little bit about you. Now, their goal, of course, cars is a much faster sale than a home, but their goal, and I sold cars years ago, so I, I understand how the game is played, and it's no different now than it was when I sold them. But their goal, honestly, is to get you to drive out in the car today. Like, can I find a vehicle for you that you will buy today if we can get the price where you want it? That's ultimately their goal. They may never say that out loud, but that's their goal. Can they get you to buy a car today, assuming you can get, you know, the right car at the right price? And so that's what they're trying to do in a very short amount of time. Well, <laughs> I'm going to be their worst nightmare because there's no way I'm going to spend tens of thousands of dollars that quickly. First of all, I started this process without my wife. 
I went by myself. Remember, she doesn't like these kind of sales conversations, right? So I went by myself. And even though it's going to be my car, I'm not going to buy a car without my wife being involved. I want my wife to drive it. I want my wife to be comfortable in it, right? So there's no way the salesperson is going to get the order the day I walk in if I'm buying a car. But I went to many dealerships and they all got my information. So all of them collected my email, my phone number. There was one car that was definitely kind of leading in contention for the car I liked the best. But you know what? The days that followed that first visit, I never heard from the salesperson in any way. Never got a call, never got an email, never got a text. And I thought that was a little odd. Like, why would they not be pursuing my business? This seems kind of strange. But you know what? I still really liked that car. So I took my wife back for a second visit. Now, you know, as a salesperson, if the customer has come back now for a second time and they brought their spouse, like we can't get much warmer than this, right? My wife and I take the car. We both like it. Again, not going to make a deal that day. I'm still mulling over a couple of choices. We leave. Not a word. Never heard anything from that that salesperson. Not a single type of communication. I mean, how hard is it to send somebody a text? Well, compare that to the dealership that I ultimately bought a car from. And it wasn't because of this. I'm just comparing the two. The dealership that I ultimately bought a car from, the first time I walked in by myself and drove the car and left, I was not even out of the parking lot in my own car when the salesperson had texted me to say, thank you for coming in, let me know how I can be of service. And then of course they followed up in other ways as well. But what a contrast from a salesperson that basically shows no interest in your business at all, doesn't follow up with you in any way, and a salesperson that you haven't even left the building 60 seconds ago, and they're thanking you for coming in, right? That's the power of follow-up. But again, you, you tend to want to agree on what this is going to be so that people don't feel like you're bugging them or harassing them or right. So it's, it's a lot easier to just before someone leaves without doing business with you simply establish. So where do we go from here? You know, what's the next step? And then of course the critical component is do it. So be a person of your word, right? And there's technology to help you with this, right? I mean, you can't possibly keep track of all this in your head. If you're talking to a bunch of people every day, day over day, you know, day after day, and you're making all these commitments to people. I'm going to call this one. I'm going to send somebody this. I'm going to, I mean, you've got to have some way of keeping all that organized. So I get why it doesn't happen. I get why things fall through the cracks. I just don't want to be one of those people. And I don't want you to be one of those people either. I want you to be a person of your word. Don't make the commitment if you don't 100% feel that you can actually do what you're telling the person you can do. Because it would be better, frankly, to not make the agreement. It would be better to not make the commitment than to make a commitment to follow up and not do it. Because when you say you'll do something and you don't, it immediately puts a seed of doubt and distrust in that other person's mind. They just don't know how to take that. And there could be a ton of reasons why you didn't do it, right? Maybe you had an emergency, or, but they don't know any of that, right? So as soon as you say you'll do something and you don't do it, people start to get a little nervous. So my suggestion to you is don't do that, right? So follow-up is basically making sure that every interaction ends with a next step. It's a mutual agreement on where we go from here. And then, of course, make sure you actually do it. Okay, so some key takeaways from today. If you want to be in the top 10% of anybody that calls themselves a sales professional, 
I highly encourage you to focus on the art of closing and follow-up. These are both the things, you know, both things that happen towards the tail end of a sales conversation. So we didn't talk a lot about all that stuff that you're doing that leads up to these. That'll be, you know, future, future podcasts perhaps. But I really wanted to focus on the end because that's where I see so many struggles. Um, don't hesitate to ask people for their business. If you've established that you have a solution that meets their need, and you feel as if you can be of value and service to somebody, why would you not want to ask if they're you know, wanting to do business with you? I, I just, I don't understand, other than the fact that they might say no, I don't understand why we wouldn't do that. And honestly, we don't know until we ask. So please don't have that reluctance to, to close, so to speak, assuming the timing is appropriate. What we don't want to do is the always be closing. We don't want to be asking people if they're ready to buy when there's clear indications that this is not the time, right? So be careful of that. And it's a balance, right? There's no, there's no perfect, every interaction is different. So there's no perfect formula here. Uh, it is a balance. And then make sure that every interaction is ending with a next step. Follow up and follow through and honor your commitments. If you tell people you're going to do something, Boy, just do everything in your power to make sure that you actually do that. All right, my call to action is always the same at the end of these podcasts. I want you to take a step. I want to make sure that you actually use this information. So please don't just listen for a half an hour and think, okay, well, that was interesting. On with my day. Back to my normal way of doing things. Please, you know, think about the ideas. Make them yours. Change them to suit you. But do something. Take some type of action with what we've talked about. Secondly, tell a friend. Spread the word. Big believer in knowledge has power. Let's get the knowledge out to as many people as possible. It grows our entire profession, and it makes us all more professional. So don't hesitate to, to share what you're learning with other people and tell, talk to us. Let us know not only what we can do for you at ArchMI, how we can help you, how we can be of service to you, but specifically any feedback about this podcast. Uh, you know, Get a hold of your account manager or if you happen to be talking to them, let you know what you like or, or let, let them know what you like. Um, certainly if you have ideas, uh, things that you'd like us to cover in these, you know, make sure that we're, we're hearing from you. So that is it for this podcast. I hope you found the time that you've invested to be worthwhile. This is Blaine Rada with ArchMI. Thank you for listening. Arch Capital Group Limited's U.S. mortgage insurance operation, ArchMI, is a leading provider of private insurance covering mortgage credit risk. Headquartered in Greensboro, North Carolina, ArchMI's mission is to protect lenders against credit risk while extending the possibility of responsible homeownership to qualified borrowers. ArchMI's flagship mortgage insurer, Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, is licensed to write mortgage insurance in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. For more information, please visit archmi.com. ArchMI is a marketing term for Arch Mortgage Insurance Company and United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. All rights reserved.